All right, everybody, as you're finding your seats, make sure that you have a growth guide. They were so, there were some on the seats, and there are also some in the uh, bins on the side. Welcome to Cornerstone. I'm Pastor Brian Foreman, and at Cornerstone, we inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. If you haven't already, uh, check in. I like the, to use the app. I think the app is the easiest, best way to do that. So you can uh, check in on the app. If you're here on site, you'll have a check-in card with you. Everybody who checks in, I'm going to send a link to an article this week. Today, uh, it'll be related to today's message, and it's all about how to interpret when you get angry. What is anger telling you? What signal is it sending you? That's what today's article is about. And when you check in, I will send that to you in your email. It's related to what we're talking about today, which in the Sermon on the Mount uh, is the series that we are in. And uh, we are well into it now. I'm really excited about it. Last week, I told you that uh, Jesus was a very radical teacher. And I wondered what it would be like if there were Uh, headlines if there was cable news when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount. And so I've come up with a a few more uh, headlines today of what it might have been like if there was cable news when Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. This one, everyone is guilty. No one gets away without murder. You think that you're a good person. I'm not an axe murderer. Wait until you hear what Jesus says. Next one, sticks and stones, call others names, get broken bones. Jesus suggests a radical, radical judgment for those who use words to tear others down. And then this is the most surprising, most radical. You will never see this headline in real life. Religious leader advises pause on charitable giving. So Jesus in this passage gives you a reason not to give a gift at the altar. So in this passage, what we're really talking about is broken relationships. And the big question in this is how do I break the patterns that lead to broken relationships? If I were to survey you, if I were to have a conversation with you, probably some of your greatest regrets, some of the things that cause you the most sorrow in your life are those things that have happened that have led to a breakdown in relationships. And, you know, we talked about how the idea of righteousness, which Jesus returns to over and over again, this whole section is really about righteousness, is uh, not some kind of super spiritual take on the world. It really has to do with right relationships. What do you have to do? What are the skills that you need? What are the things that make for right relationships, right relationship with your heavenly father, right relationship with the people in your life, a right relationship with yourself? And in this passage, although you wouldn't really think about it in these terms if you maybe read it just for the first time, it's really talking about what are those things that happen that lead to broken relationships and how can we overcome those things? How can we avoid those? How do you break the patterns in your life that can lead to or have led to broken relationships? 
just a reminder that in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is probably the first fill in the blank for you, uh, as I've been studying it, something that I hadn't really picked up on before, but it's just an overarching theme throughout this, is that the Sermon on the Mount is really a study in contrast. So you'll see in your growth guide right under the title, it says a study in. That's so that you can fill in the word contrast because it's really important. That'll help you to kind of remember that. And what Jesus is doing In this section, this is the first of six examples, kind of case studies that Jesus gives in the contrast between the way that he understands and interprets the Old Testament law and the way his contemporaries, his most famous, most most antagonistic uh, contemporaries, the Pharisees, the scribes, how they interpreted interpreted it as well. So this is a contrast between external rule-keeping and internal transformation, between uh, doing something just to be seen by others and just ticking off boxes versus a real relationship that makes a real difference, a change on the heart that works its way to the outside. So the Sermon on the Mount is a study in contrast, and I want to make sure that you pick up on that. Now, the contrast here is how uh, how we relate to one another, and in particular, how we, how we prevent those broken patterns in us from breaking the relationships that are most important to us. And I've entitled this message, Nip It, as in Nip It in the Bud. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second, but it's basically how to keep this business from getting out of control. How many of you have seen The Hunt for Red October? Okay, a kind of an older movie, but very good movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a classic. You should definitely go back and, and watch it. But when I was preparing for this, I actually thought of a quote. There's a, a guy, it's Fred Thompson playing an admiral, and, and the, the tension between the Russians, between the Soviet Union and America is ramping up, and he just, just witnessed a crash of an aircraft on, his, on the deck of his aircraft carrier, and he says, this business will get out of control. It will get out of control, and we'll be lucky to live through it. I love that line. I love his delivery. And that is really kind of, I love the way that this ties into this because what he's saying is if we don't get this under control, it will get out of control and people are going to die. And that's the essence of what Jesus is talking about today. And what is he talking about? What can get out of control that can actually in extreme cases lead to people losing their lives He's talking about anger and its close twin and and co-companion fear. Because a lot of times when we're afraid of something, that's when we get angry as well. And so if anger or fear become a controlling influence in your life, it can and, and very often will destroy your life and in particular destroy the relationships that are most important to you in your life. So today's bottom line and all of the points that I'm using are lifted directly from the scripture. So you'll see them as we read through the scripture. Basically, the bottom line is this. This is to, and it is to settle your differences quickly. Settle your differences quickly. 
what are, what are the points? We'll come back to these. Don't try to write them down. I just want you to pay attention and kind of get the overview. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Secondly, leave your gift on the altar. What Jesus does is he teaches about it. Then he gives two examples. This is the first example, leave your gift on the altar. And then the third example is to settle up before it blows up. To settle up before it blows up. And the challenge, the practical step, because every Sunday, I want to give you something on Sunday that you can use Monday through Saturday. So something to make your life better, make you better at life. What is that? It's this advice. To, and again, this is lifted from scripture that we'll see a little bit later. Go as far as it depends upon you. Settle your differences quickly, and we want to go as far as it depends upon you. And I'll explain what I mean by that as we conclude. Let's look at the passage. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, reading from the New Living Translation. And this is what it says, Jesus speaking. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, idiot, You are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, I know that your heart's desire is that we would have good relationships, that people would get along, reconcile, defer to one another, forgive one another, live at peace with one another. And Lord, in this passage, I believe that you point us towards the skills to make that happen and remind us of the dangers of not doing so. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to every one of us. Give us ears to hear, hearts that are open to your spirit, uh, feet that are quick to obey the way that you lead us. And I pray, Lord, that as a result of today, that there will be healed relationships, forgiveness extended and received, apologies made, relationships reconciled, including relationships with you. And I pray that you will receive all of the glory, all of the credit for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So before we get into this passage, I just want to remind you of the, the setting, because this is, like I said, one of six case studies that Jesus is presenting. But what are they case studies of? They're case studies of what we talked about last week in the message called Fulfilled. And what we said there was that Jesus shifts our focus from superficial conformity to radical transformation. He starts out last week by saying, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to 
accomplish their purpose, to fulfill them. What is he saying? That, that the law is good, the prophets were good, but, but we've gotten off track. And a lot of people's understanding of how to understand and apply the message of the law and the prophets is off kilter. So he's going to contrast the common understanding of the law and the prophets with the true understanding. And what he's saying is it's a lot deeper. It's a lot more transformational. It's a lot more radical than what you've understood so far. So he starts out and says very clearly, I'm not coming to do away with it, to set it aside. I'm actually coming to accomplish its purpose. And then at the conclusion of last week, we saw him say this, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better, unless it exceeds the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about how, how jaw-dropping that would have been because the Pharisees and the scribes were the people that dedicated their life to trying to do everything that God required. Most people didn't have time to learn and do what the, what the scribes and Pharisees were committed to learning and doing. So when Jesus said, they're, they're not even going far enough. They aren't going to make it. You got to do even better than that. It was jaw dropping. But what is, so what he's doing now is going through and explaining what he means. And we'll see a pattern developing. In this passage, again, he's going to tell them you need to settle your differences quickly. And he's going to explain the reason why and how to do it. First off, don't give the enemy a foothold. Let's look at it together. There's a pattern that Jesus uses in all six of these examples that's repeated more or less along these same lines for each of the examples. There's a little variation, but they mostly follow this pattern. It starts with, you have heard. You have heard is giving them the example of the stuff that they had heard. This was the common knowledge. This is what the scribes and Pharisees were teaching. You've heard that our ancestors were told. This goes back a long time. This is something that is directly from the Ten Commandments in this case. You must not murder. Now, to be clear, some of your translations might say kill. Murder is a much better translation because it's not talking about killing an animal. It's not talking about judicial killing under the court. It's not talking about uh, uh, killing in, in uh, warfare when it's just war, those kinds of things. It's talking about murder, premeditated, intentional murder. And then if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Now, you must not murder is directly from the Ten Commandments. This is the consequence of it that they added. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. In other words, we're going to hold you accountable. And the accountable uh, punishment that was held was the loss of your life. So it was serious. Then it says, but I say, and remember I said there's a pattern. You have heard it said, but I say. Now, this is pretty incredible because what is Jesus doing? He's saying, yeah, this is in the scriptures. Yeah, the professionals, the people who study this for a living, the people that know all this, they say this, but I say to you, what is he saying? He's saying, 
I have greater authority than all of these. Just, uh, we, we saw in the first message how Jesus going up on the mountain kind of echoed Moses going on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. Here you have the people following Jesus up this mountain to hear the new law as Jesus is unveiling it, the law of the kingdom. The, the people, uh, Moses ascended the mountain to see the glory or the presence of God. Here the people are following up and meeting with Jesus who is is the glory of God. And so he's making a radical claim here. You've heard it said, but I say to you, what does he say to them? If you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Uh, what, What were they saying? If you murder someone, there are consequences. You could lose your life. You're subject to judgment. Now he says, if you're just angry with someone, you are subject to the same judgment. If you call someone an idiot, now idiot there literally is raka. It's an Aramaic term of contempt. It means empty. It's calling somebody empty headed, an idiot. That's what it literally means. That's where they got that. So if you are an, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, literally, if you call someone a fool, it's a term of contempt you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now, I, I was always a little bit confused about this before I studied it in depth this week. I was like, what, is this like a progression? It's like uh, calling someone an idiot is kind of bad. And then if you call someone a, or if you're angry with someone, that's kind of bad. If you call someone an idiot, that's a little bit worse. If you curse someone, that's really bad. Is that what the process is? Is this talking about, uh, when, uh, you know, you're going, what, what's going on in the here and now, because the, the judgment and the court was something that existed in their time and place. You could be, you could go to court, yeah. but uh, this seems to indicate something a little bit more because at the end, it's talking about the fires of hell. So let me explain what I think is going on here. Jesus, as he often does, is making a point by repeating basically the same point. The idea of being angry with someone, calling someone empty-headed, and calling someone a fool are, are all kind of along the same lines. They're not any worse or better than one another, but all of them would be considered, obviously, a lot less serious than murdering someone. But he's saying, if you're doing this kind of thing, then what are you doing? You are, in essence, murdering them in your heart. So that's why these dangers that you put yourself in, the sin puts you in, are progressive. The, the anger, the idiot, the curse, that's all along the same level. But he's ramping up the, the, the penalty, showing that it's serious. It's more serious than you think it is. It's super serious because judgment, they're like, yeah, you know, you know, if you do something wrong, you'll be brought to judgment. But then the court is literally the Sanhedrin. Now, m- many of you have heard of the Sanhedrin because that was basically the supreme religious court in Judea at that time. If you were brought before the Sanhedrin, that was pretty serious. When Jesus was brought to trial, he was brought before the Sanhedrin. But by this time, this is something I just learned this week, by this time, the idea of the Sanhedrin, there was this idea that, yeah, there's a Sanhedrin, and you can go and you can see where they meet and you can be brought before them. But ultimately, everyone's going to stand before God's Sanhedrin, God's court, God's Supreme Court. 
and give ultimate account for their lives. So he's like, yeah, you're familiar with this, but it's, it can be even more serious. This is ultimate seriousness. And that point is emphasized by the last one. The last one, it literally says, in danger of Gehenna. Gehenna literally means the Valley of Hinnon. It was an actual place right outside of Jerusalem. And in the days of the kings, hundreds of years ago, when the kings were apostate, they would worship false gods in this valley. It was most notorious for being the place where babies were sac- children were sacrificed to the false god Moloch. So there it was a place of human sacrifice, and it eventually became a, a, by fire. And it eventually became a place where the refuse of the city uh, everything from the city up to and including the dead bodies, perhaps of of sacrifice or or of of um, prisoners who had been put to death might be included in there, and the fires kind of kept burning, and so it became this picture of like ah this is an actual place, but this is this must be what hell is like you know this horrible sinful fiery places where you know the stench must have been horrible the fires never went out it was like yeah that is like a real live picture of what hell must be like and so in the same way that the sanhedrin was an actual place that kind of took on ultimate meaning gehenna this valley where the fires never stopped burning took on the meaning of eternal hell eternal separation, eternal punishment. So that's why this is actually a good translation of that. It names a particular place, but it's talking about the fires of hell. So again, Jesus' pattern, you've heard it said, and he gives something that they've heard. But I say to you, he claims ultimate authority and, get, and makes it even more serious and turns the emphasis on the heart, Right? Because you can, you can superficially comply with not killing anybody. Most people can do that. But not many people are going to get through life without being angry at someone. Without calling somebody a name maybe under their breath. Without murdering them in their heart. So the next thing that Jesus does is he says, so. And we'll get to that in a part. So he's like, you've heard it said. But I say to you, so. So he gives some practical applications of that, and that's what the, the next two points are. But before we do that, I just want to deal with this, uh, with this issue. What is he saying here? Because obviously there's a difference between being angry with someone and, and killing them, murdering them. But he's saying, you know what? There is a connection. You don't, you don't kill someone until there's something wrong in your heart. And so let's deal with the heart. Let's, let's settle this matter quickly. Let's, let's make sure that we, put a, we nip it in the bud. And that's where this comes in. This is from the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is basically a love poem. It talks about love, courtship, and marriage. And in the middle of this, at the beginning of this couple's relationship, it says this, catch all the little foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. 
Now, I forget where I first heard this, but it was in the context of some kind of marriage course or marriage seminar or something like this. And the application is that you don't let little foxes, the the little troubles in your relationship, blossom into something bigger. Because what would happen? Little foxes, foxes were dangerous to your vineyard because as soon as the grapes, the began to, the grapevines began to blossom, the foxes would come through and they would eat the blossoms. They would literally nip them in the bud so that it would ruin the, the, the crops. So here at the beginning of this relationship, they're saying, don't let those little foxes, the little problems just kind of fester. Don't let them kind of kill the love and the relationship right in the crib. You know, you've got to, you've, you've got to make sure that you take care of them. Nip it in the bud. The Apostle Paul says the, basically the same thing in another famous passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. He quotes uh, from the Old Testament, and don't let and don't sin by letting anger control you. That's the New Living Translation's version of be angry and don't sin. Be angry and don't sin. Now that's insightful because that's saying you can be angry and it not lead to sin. What is anger? Best uh, uh, definition I've heard of it is a, a blocked agenda, a blocked agenda. You want something, but something has happened to keep you from getting what you want. Uh, Now, sometimes it's very legitimate. If uh, you want to be treated with respect and somebody is disrespecting you, if you want to be treated fairly and somebody is treating you unfairly, your agenda has been blocked and that's legitimate. There's a, a legitimate source of that anger. But I like this translation because it's saying you can be angry and not let that anger control you. You can be angry and not let that anger lead you to do something that is damaging, that is unrighteous, that's going to break the relationship. So what's the Apostle Paul uh, uh, suggesting? Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, nip it in the bud. If there's something that is going to destroy the relationship, act like a poison in your relationship, cause you to get angry to the point where you start, it starts to control you, then you start doing things that you don't want to do, saying things that you don't really want to say. Don't let it get to that point. Figure out a way to diffuse it. Then perhaps the most chilling of the statements for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, the devil is the enemy of your soul. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's in John 10.10, the the verse that Joy quoted earlier uh, on the positive side, because Jesus says, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. So here's, here's what's going on. There is somebody that wants to ruin your life, make your life miserable, destroy your relationships, If you don't settle this anger, you're giving them an open door, a foothold into your life. Do you really want to do that? No, of course not. So I was thinking about this and uh, it's like, why, why, uh, how do we, how do we, how do we get past this? And it made me think of a couple of verses. I'll give them to you. The first is Genesis 9, 6. 
If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. This is the judgment that Jesus is referring to. It goes all the way back to the first chapters of the first book of the Bible. Uh, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. But why? Why is it so serious? Why does it demand capital punishment? Next phrase. For God made human beings in his own image. God made human beings in his own image. It's referring back to just a couple of chapters ago when in the creation narrative it says, for God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what is so, what is so wrong about murder in particular? It's that you are taking someone who is created in the image of God, who is given life by God, and you're taking that away. You're taking it away. And only God has the right to do that. And as a result, you're in essence kind of dehumanizing that person. We'll come back to that in just a second. So I was thinking about what are the things that have been helpful to me in diffusing anger in my own life. You know, what, when my agenda gets blocked, what are some of the, 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 the truths that I tell myself or the process that I go through? So this is kind of like a little mini message within the message. So I'll give you three things that help me in that situation. The first is to acknowledge God's sovereignty. To acknowledge God's sovereignty. The scriptures say, this is actually a pagan king in the book of Daniel, who has gone through a very tough lesson to learn this, says about God, no one can hold back his hand. What what, what is he saying there? If God decides to do something, there's nobody that's going to block that punch, right? His hand will not be stayed. And then in Revelation, it says this along the same lines, what he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. What does that tell me? That tells me that my agenda can be blocked, but God's can't. God's can't. So it's helpful to me sometimes to remember that when things don't go my way, when things don't go the way that I want them to, yeah, my agenda can be blocked, but God's can't. And there's something comforting and encouraging and diffusing to my anger about recognizing that no matter what happens, because God's in control, He's sovereign, it can be okay. I can be okay. Secondly, and this goes back to the passage in Genesis, to acknowledge God's image. In order for you to be truly angry with someone to the point where you want to do them harm, basically you have to dehumanize them, right? That's, or at least it makes it easier. That's why in, uh, in pre-World War II Germany, they would talk about Jews in ways that would dehumanize them. They're scum, they're vermin, they're, they're parasites. Why, why, would, why, would, why would they do that? Because by doing that, you dehumanize them. You're saying they're less than human. So if they're not human, if they don't bear God's image, then you can do whatever you want with them. A pernicious lie, right? right? But when, when you start to dehumanize somebody, when you start to talk about them. And that's why I think, you know, calling somebody a fool, an idiot, all that kind of stuff, what are you doing? You're saying that person's not worth anything. 
You're dehumanizing them. So what's the reverse of that? To acknowledge that every single person that you lock eyes with is made in the image of God, is of infinite worth. And no matter how broken and how uh, decrepit that image is, that person was still made in the image of God, is redeemable, and we need to acknowledge God's image in that. I think that's why the Apostle Paul says, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. He reminds us, this, this isn't about flesh and blood, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world. There's something else going on here, and you have to look beyond what you see. And then thirdly, the thing that helps me sometimes is to just acknowledge God's purpose. When my agenda gets blocked, that means I feel like I can't fulfill the purpose that I had in mind. It helps me to remember that God's purpose can't be thwarted, that he has a purpose in this, even if it's not the same as my ideal purpose. A classic verse for this is, of course, Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I always like to put out, put out, point out in this, it does not say that everything that happens to you is good. That is clearly not the case. There is evil in the world. There are things that should make you angry, a righteous anger. But what this is saying, and I love this, is that God is so powerful and so creative that even the worst things that can happen to you, God can jujitsu them into something good, something that accomplishes his purposes in your life and in the world. Do we serve an amazing God or what? That is just awesome to me. And so that just kind of... Allows my heart to be a little bit more at ease when my agenda gets blocked. To know that his purpose and power is so great, it's going to be okay. All right, so uh, we'll move more quickly through the rest of them. It says to settle your differences quickly. That's Jesus' bottom line in all of this. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't go down that road. Secondly, leave your gift at the altar. Remember I said that there's a pattern? You have heard it said. So I, there, but I say to you, so... And he gives practical applications. This is what you should do because this is true, because this is different than what you've heard before. Here's how you apply it. Here's how you put it to practice in your life. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you, now at this point, he's speaking to people who live in Galilee. Galilee is a long way from Jerusalem. And when they would offer these special sacrifices at the temple, they would have to travel usually by foot a couple, I don't know how far it is, but it's probably at least 100, 200 miles. It's a long time. It's longer than you walk most days, uh, most several days. But he's saying, you're going to go for this special event. You're going to go all the way down there. You're, you've waited in line. You've bought your sacrifice. You're there before the priest at the temple presenting your sacrifice. And at that moment, you remember, oh, somebody back home is mad at me. Somebody back home has something against me. To leave your gift at the altar, make the return trip and go and make things right. Leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. What is he saying? He's saying relationships are far more important than any religious act you could do. 
right? He's saying there, uh, it's important to kind of go through, jump through the hoops and do the things that are required, but relationships are what really matters. Prioritize them. Leave your gift at the altar. If you just remember that, you know, whatever I'm doing, relationships are the most important thing. Settle that, oh, you know, whatever other priorities, whatever other agenda I have, I need to make sure that the relationships are right. Leave your gift at the altar. So settle your differences quickly. Don't give the enemy a foothold by letting that anger get a hold in your life. Leave your gift at the altar. Prioritize relationships. And then lastly, the next example he gives is basically this is settle it, settle up before it blows up. Settle up before it blows up. It, you think it couldn't get worse? Trust me, it can. So you might as well settle up before it blows up. This is the second example. He says, when you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. What's the picture here? It's like somebody has something against you. They are going to take you to court and there's going to be problems. You're going to have a difficult time. Uh, So he's like, before you even get there, Settle your differences. Settle your differences quickly. Why? Because it can get worse. Trust me. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge. Judge makes a judgment against you. Who will hand you over to an officer? The officer takes possession of you and you will be thrown into prison. You will lose your freedom. It can get worse. Now, obviously, this has application for actual courts of law, but I think what Jesus is saying here is, look, if you don't deal with it, if you don't nip it in the bud, if you don't catch those little foxes, if you don't figure out how to, to diffuse that anger, believe me, if you, it, it can get worse. Re- broken relationships have a snowball effect. So he's saying, Settle it, you know, while it's still small. Don't let it blow, it blow up into something bigger. And then he says, and if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you've paid the last penalty, last penny. He's picturing debtor's prison. He's like, you, you get a judgment against you. You owe the money. You're going to be put in prison until you can pay the debt. It could be a long time. It could get worse. So, Settle it. Make sure that you just take care of things before they blow up in your face. I think this kind of goes back to in the Beatitudes when Jesus said, God blesses those who work for peace. Who work for peace. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it takes effort. Who work for peace. For they will be called the children of God. I've pointed out to you before that when it talks about being a son of God or a children of God, what's it saying? It's like anything that's a son of shares that character, right? So what is he saying? Jesus is saying the people who are really blessed are those who are working for peace. They're, they're just like God because that's what he does. Now, the good news is that Remember, I told you this is kind of what Jesus is doing throughout. At the end of the day, none of us get away scot-free. We're all guilty. We are all murderers before God. But the good news is that Jesus, God has in Jesus provided a way for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be free of the guilt 
not of the broken relationships, of the ways that we've hurt others, of the ways that we have murdered people in our own hearts and minds, and actual murders, because Jesus allowed himself to be sacrificed, to be murdered on the cross, taking that penalty. Remember the judgment? You take a life, you give a life. If anyone is angry with his brother or sister, he'll be subject to judgment. We are all under that judgment. And Jesus stepped in and said, I'll take that for him. I'll take that for her. Forgiveness is made available through Jesus. And then, more than that, he puts a new heart. This is why it's not about superficial conformity. It's not about just, you know, looking good and not doing the most heinous of crimes. God actually sends his Holy Spirit inside of you and changes you from the inside out so that you want to do the right things so that you are a child of God. You just work for peace. You make peace wherever you go. That's why I always encourage every week, if you haven't settled this, if you've never perhaps heard this, never truly understood what it means that Jesus died on on the cross for you, say yes to Jesus. Yes, I want to receive the forgiveness that you offered me on the cross. Yes, I want you to change me from the inside out. You can do that by just saying a simple prayer. Lord, please forgive me for my past. Please write a new future. Write a new ending to my story. I believe in you, Jesus. I trust in you. Forgive me and make me whole. Make me new. In that moment, Jesus has done that for you. It starts a process that begins in the here and now and lasts throughout eternity. You are his child. You are a child of God. Today we've been talking really about angry, anger and fear that sometimes leads to anger. What's the bottom line? Settle your differences quickly. Don't let it get out of hand. Don't give the enemy a foothold. It's really important. It will ruin your life. So deal with it while it's still small. Nip it in the bud. Leave your gift at the altar. Prioritize right relationships above everything else. No religious act you can do is more important than making right with your neighbor. And then settle up before it blows up. Don't let it get out of hand. Don't let it fester. Deal with it before the day is out. So, Practical step, go as far as it depends upon you. This is what this is based on. In Romans chapter 12, as the Apostle Paul is wrapping up the, the letter to the Romans, he says, is, if it's possible, which indicates that it's not always possible, so that's sometimes helpful to know, as far as it depends upon you. What's that mean? Sometimes it's not dependent upon you, right? It's not possible, it's not dependent upon you. But as if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, Live at peace with everyone. Be a peacemaker. Settle it. Do what's right. Take the steps that need to be taken. So that's my challenge to you. No doubt, throughout this message, there's been some person, some relationship, some place where your anger got out of control, where your fear turned into anger and you acted in a way that was destructive to a relationship. At some point, sometime during this message, you thought, oh, that's how that applies to me. So my challenge to you is to go as far as it depends upon you. What can you do to make things right? What step can you take to be a 
peacemaker? What step do you need to take to just take responsibility and say, I'm sorry, take responsibility for your part, your part of the pie. It might not be the whole part of the pie, but it's part of the pie. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Let's be at peace. What does it mean to go as, and, and take that to the nth degree, to go as far as it depends upon you. It might not be possible. They might not reconcile. They might not be receptive, but you will go to bed tonight, put your head on, put, putting your head on the pillow, knowing I've done what I could do. I've gone as far as it depends upon me. That's my challenge to you. Don't let another day pass before you take those steps. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your kindness and your goodness and your love towards us. And Lord, we thank you that even though we are murderers, that you have made a way for us to be forgiven. That you give us the wisdom and guidance and power and strength that we need in order to make good choices, in order to reconcile, in order to live at peace with you and with our brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that you would show each one of us exactly what step we need to take, beginning with me, to make peace to work towards peace, to be more like you in this regard. And then give us the power, the push that we need in order to do what you are calling us to do. And Lord, I pray that as a result of today, that there will be many great stories to tell of responsibility taken, of forgiveness sought and extended of relationships reconciled, of bitterness drained away, of brokenness made whole. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.